In this episode of Euctropolis, the feeling of suspense. Welcome back to the Euctropolis podcast. It's early in the morning on November 4th, the day after the U.S. election, and there's a feeling of suspense in the air all over the world. Here in Nova Scotia, Canada, we feel it too. What is that feeling of suspense? When do we feel that feeling in music? And how does it happen? How can we turn this moment into a learning opportunity to better understand how music affects us? We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to jump around through the Eucatropolis Library rather than focusing on a single course, which is what we normally do. So we're going to begin with a piece of music that comes from a great resource that uh, is often overlooked because it's not actually a course per se on the website. It's a book that I wrote called Great Popular Songs, 20 Timeless Tunes Arranged for Ukulele. And you can get this uh, as an ebook from the Euctropolis shop at euctropolis.com slash shop. But uh, in that book, there's a piece called The Cruel War, and it goes like this. The cruel war is raging, Johnny has to fight. I want to be with him from morning to night. And it goes on, it's one of the most beautiful chord progressions and melodies I've ever come across for the ukulele. I love teaching it. I love singing harmonies on this piece. They work so beautifully. And this is a piece that really plugs nicely into the ukulele in the classroom series. And those of you who are studying uh, in the Jehui program, becoming certified teachers, this is one that you don't want to overlook. It's such a beautiful piece. For kids and adults, it resonates. And there's one moment in particular where we feel, harmonically speaking, like we're suspended in midair. Did you hear it? It's on the word morning. Let's hear it again. Pay special attention to that word morning. The cruel war is raging. Johnny has to fight. I want to be with him. From morning to night. There's something magical about that moment. From morning. What is that chord? What is that chord? That just grabs on to your heart and makes you feel something. That makes you feel the suspense of that moment. Well, that chord is called C7 sus. Some people might call it C7 sus4. I often get questions about sus, S-U-S. You see that in a lot of uh, chords, and and people often have a question about what that means. And the simple answer is it means suspended, like suspended animation, where things just for a moment seem to slow down or to even stop. It makes us reflect and, and feel things that other chords don't. 
Because that chord just feels like, although it's unresolved, it's very beautiful on its own. Sort of a beautiful irresolution. And you can play this chord with me. It's very simple to play. It's just the two open strings, G and C. And then I put my first finger on the first fret of both the E string and the A string. So it's just a one finger chord. If I tell you the frets from the ceiling down to the floor, it would just be zero, zero, one, one. That's it. It's this wonderful place of uh, where, where the music almost stops for a moment. That is the power of these suspended chords. Yes, these chords add tension in a way, and when I look on the internet for explanations of sus chords, what I find is, is people defining them in terms of tension. And to some degree, that's right. They add tension. I even saw one uh, article on the internet uh, that says, um, how do you fix a suspended chord? And then they go into an explanation, uh, which I think is a bit tongue-in-cheek. These chords don't need to be fixed. They are beautiful in and of themselves, but they kind of stop time. I think that's their power. Not that they add more tension necessarily, but that time seems to float in a different way. It's it's like when you're driving in a rainstorm and you hear the rain just pelting down, pelting down on that uh, windshield, and then you go under an overpass and it stops. And just for that moment, time stops. And then you clear the overpass and the sound comes back. There was that moment of suspense. Suspended chords are that. They don't necessarily add more tension, but they make time stop. That's what I love about them. And that's the feeling that I have right now as we're waiting for these ballots to be counted. And I, I just feel like the clock stopped and we're waiting and we're holding our breath. It's that feeling that we can get in music. And this moment in The Cruel War is just one example of that. Next, we jump to a question from Merle. And Merle is working on the Ukulele Way, Book 3, Lesson 8. It's a lesson called Chording On and Off the Beat. Now remember, the Ukulele Way is all about one thing, and that is solo ukulele. How to juggle the melody, the harmony, and the rhythm simultaneously on one ukulele. How to play all the parts with just two hands, and one fretboard. It's a tricky thing, but it's also a fascinating thing, and it's why I wrote The Ukulele Way, was to take you step-by-step step on that journey toward being a one-person band, where you can play all the parts at the same time. When I wrote The Ukulele Way, I didn't think how useful this would be uh, for isolation. Seriously, I mean, if you don't have 
other bandmates to play the chords and to play or to play the melody, you can do it all by juggling all these parts at the same time. It's great for your mind. It's great for your fingers. It's good for the soul. And that's what the ukulele way is all about. Now, Merle finds himself here on lesson eight uh, with a question. And his question is about one of the exercises. One of the exercises uses the melody of country gardens. Do you remember this melody? And the exercise says, well, where are you going to play the chords? Are you going to play the chords on the strong beats like this? Strong, 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 strong beats. Are you going to put them on the strong beats? Or are you going to put the chords on the weak beats? This is where you would not normally tap your foot. The weak beats would be weak, 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 weak. Those are not the places where I would naturally tap my foot. And those are the weak beats, or sometimes called the off beats. And when I put the chords on the strong beats, and this is true for any piece of music, not just this one. When I put chords on the strong beats, I tend to get sort of a very, well, strong rhythmic accompaniment. Like if I was playing a march or something, and I really want to show people where those strong beats are. There's no question about where you should tap your foot. The danger with strong beat strumming is that it's a little too plodding. Sometimes it can be a little too heavy or a little too obvious. And the, the advantage of weak beat strumming is that it can give a little kick to the music, like this. And there's sort of a lightness that comes when you emphasize the weak beat. On the other hand, Strumming on the weak beat tends to be more difficult, so it's a trade-off. So that's what Merle is dealing with in this lesson. But he's also dealing with a moment of suspense that he's struggling to understand. And that moment is the third note from the end of the melody. That note right there, E. E, D, C. Now it doesn't sound like a difficult moment to, to wrap your head around until you put the chord with it. Because the chord at that moment, la, it says in the music, the chord is G7. E, D, C. Now Merle knows that there is no E note. There is no E note in a G7 chord. And he's trying to figure out how to play these two things at the same time. How do you play an E when there's no E in that chord. Now this happens from time to time, and this is one good example of it. Composers love to add these notes that are not in the chord because they make the chord sound more rich and full and complex and interesting. But it's kind of annoying when you're trying to juggle all these things at the same time. It's different if, you know, you've got a piano, you've got ten fingers, 
You can play tons of notes at the same time. But if you're trying to make this all fit into a tiny little space like the ukulele fretboard, sometimes it leaves you scratching your head. Now there are a few ways to do this, but the way I want to show you right now is the way I think works best. But it's really unusual. What we have to do is boil down the chord to its absolute most essential ingredients and only use those ingredients. And I'll tell you right now without going to, into a ton of detail, the most important notes in a G7 chord, or really in any chord that has a, a seven in it, the most important notes are, not surprisingly, the seven, because it gives the note its character, and also the third, because that note tells us whether the chord is major or minor. And yes, we're looking at chords here under a microscope. We're looking at the genetic code of a chord. We're looking at every single note in that chord and recognizing that every single note has a role to play. We've got the root, the third, the fifth, and the seventh. And they all have their own special personality. If you don't already have that level of intimacy with chords, don't worry, this comes with time and practice. So it's the third and the seventh of the chord that are the most important notes. Those are the absolute bare bones of the skeleton of this chord. The root note, G, well, even though it's the name of the chord, we can almost guarantee that someone else at, at some point is going to be playing that note if you were playing with a bass player or playing with a band. Or in, even in this instance, because there's no band, we have to rely on the audience's familiarity with music to sort of assume that note. And the brain is amazing. It'll fill in the blank and make us think that we're hearing that note, even though we're not. I didn't play it that time. There's no G in that chord that I just played. And you're still able to understand the role that that chord plays. Here it is with the G, and here it is without the G. And you still basically get what I mean if I play that chord without the root note. The second least useful note in a chord is the fifth. It's just there to kind of keep the shape of the chord, but if we take it away, it doesn't really affect things. It's like, um, you know, this is kind of gross, but it, it's like a gallbladder, you know? Um, it's, it's good to have it. I'm not going to say it's not a good thing to have, but you can take it out and, you know, still function. That's kind of gross, but anyway, you know what I mean. The fifth can be there or not, and we still understand what this chord means and how it functions. Here's the chord with all the notes. Here's the chord without the root. And here's the chord without the fifth. And we still get the sense of what this chord means. That it resolves. Because we've boiled down the chord to its absolute essence. If we retain the third and the seventh, we're still in business. Now I'm playing those two notes where you would expect. The F, first fret of the E string. And the B, second fret of the A string. Lucky for us, though, there are other ways to play those same two notes. I could take them and put them on the third and fourth strings, and it would be fourth fret of the fourth string, 
and fifth fret of the third string. And lo and behold, I get the same two notes. I'm going to say that again. It's fourth fret of the fourth string and fifth fret of the third string. I get the same two notes. Only now, I'm out of the way of the E string, and I can use that note in the chord as well. Whoa. What is that? What is that sound that's full of tension and suspense? Well, if you're playing along, these would be the frets in order from the ceiling to the floor. Four, five, zero, and then nothing. I'm only playing three notes. I'm not even playing a note on the A string. It's just three notes. But three very carefully chosen notes so that I get the main pillars of the G7, the third and the seventh, and that guest note, the uninvited guest that is E, that is not normally in this G7 chord. And when I play that in context, you'll hear the incredible sort of suspense of that moment as it resolves back to its home place, the, uh, the C chord. Here it is in context. What a moment. That is a moment that is so full of suspense. It almost feels the way I feel this morning, November 4th, the day after the election. That's how I feel right now. Those three notes played on my ukulele. That's how I feel. And maybe that's how you feel too. For our last question today, we jump over to Booster Uke and a very interesting, ongoing conversation I've been having with one of my students named Bunkai about how to name one of these chords. Now remember, Booster Uke is the course that is all about one thing, and that is chord twins, the amazing musical phenomenon of chord twins. This is where you have two chords that look and feel almost identical, but that give you two wonderful sounding chords that you can use to play songs that ordinarily would be out of reach for beginners. And in this particular lesson, lesson six, we're learning the song St. James Infirmary Blues. And just for context, let me play you a bit of the song. It goes like this. Let her go, let her go, God bless her Wherever she may be She may search this wide world over And never find a sweet man like me 
great, great song. Love it. I've been playing this tune since I was at university, and my friend Diedrich uh, introduced me to it because his friend Pete had introduced it to him, and it became one of our favorite tunes to play. So this is a piece that is based around the minor twins, E minor and B7. And if you don't know these, you can learn them right now in one minute. B7 is fourth fret on the fourth string, third fret on the third string, and second fret on the second string. That's it. Fourth on the fourth, third on the third, second on the second. And you leave the A string open. Now, just a reminder, this is not... This is not the easiest pair of twins. This is, remember, we're jumping in at lesson six already. And you take that B7 chord and you jump it one string down toward the floor. Each finger jumps down by one string and you get this. The resolution of that B7. That's E minor. So B7 itself can be jumped down toward the floor, just the way we did, to give E minor. But B7, which is already a chord that is full of tension and expectation, B7 can also be raised one fret. And by raising it one fret, I mean sliding it along the strings toward the sound hole. Like that. I haven't jumped across the strings. I'm just sliding the fingers up the strings by one fret. And yes, the A string stays open. We're still not playing anything on that A string. Now, you can start to hear how this little B7 chord shape can be moved around up and down the strings to give us many, many uh, interesting chords. Here's an example of me just using the B7 chord shape and sliding it up or down the strings to give me different chords. Yes, it has that kind of flamenco type sound to it. And you can just have a ton of fun moving this B7 around. But the one I want to look at in particular is where we started, where we just take B7 and we move it up toward the sound hole by one fret. The question that Bunkai and I have been talking about in this discussion is, what is that chord? What is that chord that is so full of expectation and suspense and that ultimately uh, slides down into B7? What is that chord? Well, it turns out that this chord here, five, four, three, zero. It turns out that that can be interpreted a few different ways. In particular, it could be C6. If I put a C in the bass, or it could be thought of as A minor seven. If I sing uh, or play an A in the bass, it's all about what that bass note is doing and where the chord is going. 
As ukulele players, we don't often think about the bass because we are so concerned with what is happening in these higher sounding voices. We don't think like bass players. But a bass player would be sitting there going, what note do you want me to play on this chord? Do you want me to play the C? Do you want me to play da? Or do you want me to play da? Which one is it? And as ukulele players, we're probably going to sit there and go, well, I don't, I don't really know. You know, that's your job. My job is to play the high notes and your job is to play the low notes. But if we really want to know what we mean harmonically at this moment in time, we're going to want to think like bass players for a moment. So let me play this chord progression. I'm going to sing the bass notes as I play the chords. Now the first time I'm going to sing it as written, where this chord is going to be a C6, meaning I sing a C in the bass. And the second time we're going to change it up and you see which one you prefer. Here we go. E, B, E, E, C, B, E, B, E, C, B, E. Now that's how I would play it in the bass if I was following the chord diagrams the way they're shown in booster uke. But Bunkai is saying, hey, you know, that could be an A minor 7 as well. And in some ways it would make more sense to think of it that way because it would function as the 4 chord in that key. So now I'm going to sing it that way with this chord being an A minor 7, meaning I'm going to sing an A note at that moment. And you see if this feels different to you and if you prefer it. E, B, E, E, A, B, E, B, E, A, B, E. All right. So which one did you prefer? Did you like rising toward the B7? A, B. Or did you like falling down into the B7? C, B. The good news is you don't really have to choose one or the other. If you're the bass player, you could do it one way the first time and another way the second time. There are multiple pathways here and that's the wonderful thing about music. Now, Bunkai makes a very good point, and I agree that harmonically speaking, you could argue that it's an A minor 7, and that's kind of where we got to in our conversation. Me saying, you know what, I think you're right. Now, I'm not going to change it in the book, but I think it's a, it's a really interesting discussion to have that it's not always clear if it's one or the other, and that it can be both, depending on your perspective. But one thing is for sure, this chord right here. That chord that leads into the B7 is so full of suspense. It holds us in the palm of its hand and time seems to stop. 
that is the feeling that we're all feeling this morning, November 4th, the day after the U.S. election, that feeling of not knowing, that feeling of time just being put on hold until we have some kind of resolution. You know what? That is not an unfamiliar feeling. That is a feeling that composers and musicians have been exploring in music since the beginning of music. It's something that we can all tap into with just four strings and a tiny wooden instrument called the ukulele. We can all tap into that feeling and use it productively, creatively to explore and reflect our own emotions, especially on a day like this. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Yucatropolis podcast, a special edition where we've focused on the feeling of suspense in music in the wake of a very suspenseful U.S. election. Join me again next week for more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions from students at yucatropolis.com. That's where you'll find a whole library of unique online ukulele courses from absolute beginner to advanced. In the meantime, stay healthy, stay hopeful, and keep on strumming.